we are going to jump into his word now. We're in the fifth and final week in our series called The Move of God. Somebody say The Move of God. And the idea in this series, like we've said this morning a few times already, God is not dead or distant. He is not dormant or asleep. God is living and active, and he still moves today. Do you still believe that? And so we want to position ourselves to see God move. We can't force him to do anything. Snap your fingers, ring the bell, demand service. Doesn't work that way. But biblically speaking, there are things that we can do to position ourselves in such a place that it might make it more likely that we would see God move. And we need to see God move. All of us come into circumstances and situations and mindsets and all this stuff that's bigger than our ability to just control on our own. Things happen in our lives, our homes, our marriages marriages, our families, our health, our jobs, our churches that are beyond our ability to deal with, beyond our capacity. Only God is big enough to deal with some of these things. So would you agree we need to see God move? Yes. And so that's what we're talking about. And we've talked about a number of principles to this end, to this positioning ourselves. And the final one we're going to talk about today is offering. You know what to do. Say offering. Now, somebody might have just heard that and said, here comes another sermon about money. Preacher man wants my money again. We'll save that for the meeting after church. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know why I said that. Offering, okay, think bigger than money. It's about more than what you put in the plate or the box or your e-transfer or whatever you do. It's bigger than that. When we're talking about offering today, we're talking about offering ourselves Offering our very lives. Here's the, here's the ticket today. When we offer ourselves to God with no strings attached, we position ourselves to see him move. That's where we're at. And there is some overlap this morning with some of the other principles we talked about. We talked about drawn near to God. Well, that, there's some overlap between that and, and offer ourselves to God. We talked about Walking in faith. Well, there's some overlap there with offering ourselves to God. Last week, we talked about living righteously as a believer. There's some overlap there with offering ourselves to God. But this is a distinct activity. This is a distinct mentality that's all about us surrendering to the Lord. It's all about us submitting ourselves unto the Lord. It's all about saying, God, here I am. I'm all in. I'm all yours. It's about presenting ourselves to him like the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 6 verse 8. He says, here I am, Lord, send me, here I am. Offering ourselves is to put ourselves out there before the Lord. It's to choose to step out of the everyday routine. How many of you have an everyday routine? You all do. Don't lie to me now. You all do. And to, to offer ourselves to God requires doing something to kind of get out of the rut and the routine and the going through the motions and to consciously come before him and present ourselves. To offer ourselves is to make ourselves available to the Lord. Sometimes we make that much more difficult than it needs to be. To offer ourselves to God is to release the tight grip that we have on our affairs. I don't know about you, but that's how I like to live sometimes. It's my life. I'm in control. Well, to offer ourselves to God is to slowly give that up and hand it over to him. To offer ourselves to God is to be willing to listen. Also, don't make that very easy sometimes. 
but we need to listen. It's like uh, in 1 Samuel 3.10, the young prophet Samuel says, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. He says, speak, I'm listening, I'm ready to hear, I'm ready to receive, here I am. To offer ourselves to God is to die to ourselves. To offer offer ourselves to God is to humble ourselves before God. All of that stuff is caught up in this activity of offering. And the reason that's important to document all that is because our instinct is usually to do the opposite. You know what I'm saying? Our instinct, like I said, is I'm in control. It's my life. I got this. God can be over here, and God, you can just bless me or something, but I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to stay in my lane. I'm the top dog. I'm the big cheese. It's my life. It's my time. I call the shots, and what we end up saying is, God, I'll give you some of me, but I'm not going to give you all of me. There's a theme repeated all the way through Scripture, and I want to show you just a few verses on the next slide about this. You can just hear the language. You can just hear the language of offering in here. Romans 12.1 tells us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship. So, So you get the idea there. Your bodies, your whole self, a living sacrifice, your whole life, everything that goes on, we give that, we offer that to God. That's where the scriptures lead us. Romans 6, 13, give yourselves completely to God since you have been given new life. How many of you know that in Jesus Christ we've been given new life? How many of you know in Jesus Christ we've been taken from darkness into light, from death into life, from from old into new, right? That's our reality. Well, since that's the case, since Jesus has given so much to us, we are to respond and give ourselves to him. That's where the scriptures lead us. In Matthew 16, 24, Jesus is talking and he says, if anyone would come after me, in other words, if anyone wants to roll with me, have a relationship with me, an experience, an encounter with me, you need to deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's offering. That's that's the heart of the scriptures. And that's just a few of many. I promised I'd get you out of here early on Father's Day, so I didn't list the other several hundred of these I could have. But that's the heart of the scriptures. And when we miss this mentality right here, when we live in a way that is disconnected from this activity of offering, listen, we fail to position ourselves to see God move. It's not that we haven't drawn near to God in some capacity. It's not that we haven't acted in faith in some respect. It's not that we are not trying to live righteously as a Christian, but sometimes we fall short of this final step. We might do all those other things, but we never completely give ourselves to God. We never fully hand the reins over to God. Maybe that sounds familiar this morning. It's sounding a little bit familiar to me in my own life. What we end up saying to God is we wanna roll with God on our terms. But what God is calling us to is to roll with him on his terms. And his terms are as such. It's all of us. It's all in. God is not interested in only having some of you. Do you know that? God is not interested in being an afterthought or a sidebar or an accessory to your life. God wants to be everything in your life. God wants to be the center of your life. We need to give all of ourselves to God. That's what we're called to. 
And if we're going to get onto this program of, of positioning ourselves to see God move, we need to be able and willing to empty ourselves and die to ourselves if we're going to get onto this program. And if you're hearing this so far and you go, man, this seems like kind of intense. Like, I just wanted to come to church and relax, and it's Father's Day, maybe I'd get a gift, take it easy. Like, now, you're, now it's like we're 10 minutes in, and you're telling me to give all of myself to the Lord. Like, what happened? That's kind of what it is, though, right? Like, that is, that is the life God is calling us to. Let me just remind you what we've been saying all year long. God has a life for you. God has good for you. God has plans for you to prosper you and not to harm you. There are plans for a hope and a future. God has a good life for you. And part of that life is dying to ourselves and giving ourselves to him. That is literally the life we're called to. And here's something else I'll say by way of encouragement. If this is seeming like a large concept, which it is, this is also a process. This is an ongoing, repeated thing. This isn't just a one and done, you have some spiritual zen moment one time or whatever. This is ongoing. This is a continual offering yourself to God. Even in the, watch my hands, even in the little things, even in the small ways, the insignificant ways. When you're driving in your car, that's an opportunity for you to just say with your eyes open, you can pray this, God, I've given myself to you. I'm all yours. Use me. Here I am. When you are at work, whether you're at the office or you're at your home office, whether you're typing away on a computer or you're doing whatever it is that you do at your job, that's an opportunity for you to just quickly say, Lord, here I am, use me, I'm all yours. When you lie your head down on the pillow at the end of the night, that's an opportunity for you to say, God, here I am, once again, I'm all yours. We go back to this well over and over and over and over and over again. We continually, it's a living sacrifice. It's ongoing. That is what we're called to. When we offer ourselves to God, we position ourselves to see him move. So far, so good? Okay. So here's what I want to do. I want to get a little further into God's word this morning, and I want to give you four things in which when we offer ourselves to God, how that positions us uh, to see him move. The first thing, we position ourselves to see God move when we offer ourselves to him in worship. Somebody say worship. If you were to read Genesis chapter six through nine, early on in your Bible, right near the beginning, approximately six chapters in, that was funny, you would read about a guy named Noah. And we talked about Noah last week, and, and you guys are very smart people, you know the story of Noah, but here it is in a nutshell. God looks down at humanity, and he sees wickedness, uh, we've just gone right off the rails, we, it's just deplorable, awful, corrupt, humankind has just gone so far away from its intended design and function, God says, I need a do-over. It, it, it just broke his heart, and he said, I need to start again. And so God purposes to wipe out all life with a flood, a, a flood that's never been seen before or since. And before he does that, he looks down and he sees this one guy, Noah, who lives righteously. And he says, I'm gonna spare that guy. So God speaks to Noah. He says, here's what's coming. Here's what I want you to do. Build the ark. Get in the ark. The waters are gonna come up. And that's what happened. Noah's in the ark, safe and sound with his family. And then the water eventually starts going down. And eventually they 
run aground, and they get out of the ark. And something very specific happens when they get out of the ark. And I want to read it to you from Genesis chapter 8. This is the first thing that's recorded after they step foot off the ark. It says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. So we're talking about offering. Noah got off the boat and he offered what he had. He offered his resources. He offered right there in worship to the Lord. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, when the Lord saw that Noah was worshiping, the Lord said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground. Never again will I strike down every living creature. And God goes on to have a pretty cool uh, sequence here. He blesses Noah. He makes a covenant promise with Noah. He encourages Noah. He does a great work in Noah's life. Let me, let me just spell this out. God moves. God moved. He showed up to Noah in a very real way. And I want you to notice the timeline of when that happened. Again, it wasn't when he built the ark, although God moved there for sure. God spoke and said, hey, if you don't want to like drown, build this boat. So, uh, it, but it wasn't this special move of God. It wasn't when Noah built the ark. It wasn't when he went into the ark. It wasn't when he came out of the ark. It was when he worshiped. It was when Noah's response to everything that he had just seen God do was worship, offering. Here I am. Here's the resources at my disposal. I'm going for it. I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to magnify and exalt you. That's worship. And then God moved. So let's bring this to our day, our time, our lives. Don't answer this out loud, but when is the last time that you and I have really offered ourselves in worship? And I'm not strictly talking about, well, I was at church last week and I was at church again today and I sang with my hands at my side. I sang, hallelujah, thine the glory. There I worshiped, right? Thank you for laughing. That was that ministers to me. Okay, I'm not just talking about Sunday morning, come to church. This is great though, seriously, and we certainly can worship here. Um, but, but when's the last time that you intentionally paused and broke out of the routine of your everyday life, and you sought the Lord, and you got with the Lord, and you took on the posture of praise before the Lord. Just that deliberate act, that carving out time and space to do that. And, and, and spending time in worship, spending time at his feet, praising him, saying, here I am, offering yourself to him. The Lord had a bit of a conversation with me a couple of weeks ago that I'm going to just like give you a little inroad onto here. You know how that is sometimes the Lord like needs to have a talking to with you. Sometimes that happens. Uh, that's actually a good thing when he does that, by the way. But anyway, he had to have a little word with me a couple weeks ago. And he said to me, Braden, uh, you are rushing through worship on Sunday mornings. And now you know me. Pastors always say the right thing, right? We always do the right thing and say the right thing. I said to the Lord, this is what I said. I'm not even kidding. I said, he said, you're rushing through worship. I said, I am not. <laughs> no, I am not. And he said, oh, yes, you are. <laughs> I didn't win that fight. I got thinking about it. And I said, you know what? Like, shockingly, the Lord's right. He's kind of right. And it was not by any malicious intent of my own or ah, let's just get through this I don't want to be doing nothing like that but I realized there was a little bit of a seed in my mind like when we get together because we worship here like it's good right and and when we get together 
there's a little seed in my mind of, okay, just thinking about what comes next. What's next? What's next? Got to make sure I don't forget something. And the Lord had to correct that in me. He said, you, you get that out of there. And so we're going to like spend a little bit more time in worship when we're together. And again, it's not all about the Sunday morning thing, but certainly like let it be a thing here. So we're going to spend a little bit of extra time doing it. And if that means you're five minutes late for your lunch reservation, then hope your food doesn't get cold. I don't know. But it's okay because we want to pour into this. We want to carve out the time. We want to make space to worship the Lord. You know why? Because worship changes things. Worship changes things. God can show up when we worship. And I don't want to blow past that time. I don't want to spend my days never worshiping, never getting with the Lord in that way because I don't want to miss out on him doing something in my life. I don't, want him, I don't want you to miss out on him doing something in your life. I don't want us as a church to miss out on God doing something in our life. So we got to worship. Would you agree? Worship. We position ourselves to see God move when we worship. Number two is this. We position ourselves to see God move when we offer ourselves in the valley. Somebody say the valley. We're not talking about the Kennebecasis Valley. Okay? You guys know what the valley is. It's that time and space and place in your life, and we've all been in this valley, when things aren't going very well. When we're down, we're low, hard times, difficult circumstances, suffering, pain, whatever it is, you name it. How many of you have ever been in the valley before? Every hand, exactly. Maybe some of you guys are in the valley this morning. The Bible even talks about sometimes it's so bad, it's called the valley of the shadow of death. Things aren't going so well. We've all been there. And when we're in those times, it can be really easy just to solely focus on getting out of the valley. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. Like, get me out of here. I want to get better. I want to get past this, whatever it is. But here's a question for you. What if God had something special for you while you're in the valley? What if God had special grace for you while you're in the valley? What if God wanted to do something in your life when you're in that place? We don't want to blow past it. Not that we glorify being in the valley, but God can meet us there, amen? If you read the book of Jonah, you would read about the prophet named Jonah. Thank you. And you guys know his story too. He was a prophet of the Lord, and one day the Lord came and spoke to him, and he said, Jonah, I want you to go that way and do this thing. And Jonah said, okay, message received. I got it. I'm going to go this way, and I'm going to do something else. And he literally flees from the Lord. He literally gets on a boat and goes like gangbusters to get away from the Lord. How'd that go for him? That go well for him? No, not really. Shockingly, the Lord goes after him and catches him. Can you imagine? And in that sequence, Jonah, while he's trying to resist the Lord and get away from the Lord, and the Lord's trying to get him back on track, Jonah gets thrown off the boat into the water, and he gets swallowed by a large fish. And he was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. In other words, he was pretty low. Let me sidebar for a second. Sometimes, I don't know if this has happened to you, you've heard people say, like, the Bible is full of stories that are just made up. They're fairy tales and folklore. They never happened. You ever heard someone say that before? This is one that I've heard people talk about before. A big fish and the guy went in the fish. Let me just remind you of what was in the news in the last couple weeks. 
not even joking. There was a guy, if you missed that, there was a fisherman in Massachusetts who got swallowed by a whale, like whole and alive. Yeah, he got swallowed by a whale and he survived and the whale spat him out. And I'm saying like, come on, like it's right here. This is literally, I'm not even joking, this is history just catching up to the Bible. Like, you can't make that stuff up. I'm super glad that happened. I'm really glad the guy was okay. That's pretty good. But, like, this is real. This is legitimate. Jonah is in a real place, and he's in a real valley in a real low. Because, I don't know, like, I would like to think of myself as a person of decent faith, but probably if I got swallowed by a fish, like, that probably doesn't end well, like, I'm probably not expecting that I'm going to get out of there. Or, well, anyway, let's not go there. But So Jonah is low. Like, he's low. And he knows what he's done. He's messed up, and God is doing this, and he's low. And here's what Jonah says. I want you to see what he says on the screen. Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. He says, it says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from where? The belly of the fish. Jonah calls out to the Lord in the midst of his situation. He didn't wait for his situation to improve and then he called on the Lord. He called on the Lord while he was in it. I've heard people say things like, I am too stressed out to pray right now. Can't pray till things get better. Too stressed out. Okay. I've heard people say things like, I, I, I just, I got to wait for things to get better before I'll I come back to church or whatever. Okay. I've heard people say, you know, I, I'd pay more attention to the Lord. I'd do this and that for the Lord, but I just, I, I just can't right now. I've got to wait for things to get better. Well, that's not what we see here, is it? Jonah doesn't wait for things to work out. He goes for it in the valley, in his situation. And I want you to see verse 9 right there, something very important right in there. He says in verse 9 of Jonah 2, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. He's talking to God. What I have vowed, I will pay. That's offering, by the way. That's him offering himself from the place where he's at. And then it says, and the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Joan out onto the dry land. How many of you would not like to go through that experience? Just saying. But just, just catch this though. Jonah is at the end of his rope. He's at the very end of himself. He's got nothing left. Maybe you've been in that place. And when in that place of desperation, he offers himself to the Lord. He says, here I am, God. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go there. Whatever you want me to say, I will say it. He offers himself. And then God moves. I think it's very important that we notice that, and it's not the other way around. It's not Jonah got spat out by the fish, and then he offered himself to God. That's an entirely different, I was going to say kettle of fish. Ah. But, but again, you hear people say sometimes, God, if you just get me through this situation, I'll be a better Christian. Like, that's not what we're seeing here. It's, it's whatever happens, Lord, I am yours. Whatever happens from this place that I'm in that is a miserable place, whatever happens, I'm yours, good or bad. The question then is, how are we handling ourselves when we're in the valley? Because we're in the valley sometimes. When you're in that place where something needs to change, something needs to shift, something needs to improve, something needs to just completely transform, are you seeking the Lord and are you offering yourself to the Lord in that place? Or are you just waiting for things to improve and maybe someday you'll come around? The, the, the issue, the crux here is dive in deeper now. 
dive in while today is still called today, while you're in the valley. Because as we've seen here, and some of you can testify to this, God can move from that place. Amen? Number three, we position ourselves to see God move when we offer ourselves when we have sinned. Somebody say, when we have sinned. I mean, that wouldn't apply to any of you, but just, you know, somebody out there somewhere. Turn in your Bible to Psalm chapter 51, if you don't mind. Psalm chapter 51 is a psalm that was written by King David. And if you know anything about King David, he was this great, valiant, victorious, awesome king. He's one of my favorite Old Testament characters, figures. I say that like he didn't exist. He was some character. You know what I mean. He was pretty legit. He was the man after God's own heart, right? And yet, there was a season in his life where he done messed up pretty good. He had an affair with a married woman, possibly against her will, possibly by force, got her pregnant, tried to cover it up. That didn't work, so he had her husband killed. That is what you call a bad day at the office, okay? He has done not, like it's not good. That's not good. And the Lord confronts him and convicts him about that. The Lord puts that right out in front of him and David realizes what he's done. And he is undone and convicted by his sin. He, he is wrecked by his sin, by the choices that he has made. Again, maybe you've been in that position before. And in the wake of that sequence in his life, he wrote Psalm 51. And I want to just read a few verses in this and just hear the language in this. Hear the heart of offering in here. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. He knows what he's done. He's not messing around. He's not hiding, beating around the bush. He, it's right out there. He goes on to say, purge me and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and block out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, Open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. That language right there is language of someone offering themselves to the Lord in the midst of their sin, in the midst of their mess. They're saying, God, here's what I've done. It's ever before me. You know about it, but I need you. I, I can't be done with you. Please don't be done with me. I want to be restored. Here I am. He's putting himself out there before the Lord. Would you agree? When we sin, we have an opportunity to do the same thing. Sometimes we buy into this lie, and, and don't hear me glamorizing and glorifying sin. That's not what I'm doing at all. Sin is grievous to God. 
But sometimes we come into this place about sin that when we sin in, in, in that way or this certain way, we pull back from the Lord in shame. And our sin should affect us, like in some ways, right? But sometimes it's enough cause we say, I've messed up so bad, and we just pull back and we run from the Lord. And that is not what King David did. I want you to see that today. When we sin, we have the opportunity to approach the Lord trusting and believing in faith that he is a God of grace. He is a God of mercy. He is a God of love. He is a God that has good for us. And especially those of us who are Christians, like we're his children and he will not leave us or abandon us or forsake us. And it tells us that we can boldly approach the throne of grace. And, and it's just such a cool thing in my mind. Okay, you're telling me, Braden, I sin and I mess up so badly yet I can still confidently, boldly approach the Lord and ask for grace and mercy. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Because that's who our God is. How many of you know that his grace is sufficient for us? How many of you think that's really good news today? Yes. And so when we sin and we follow this pattern and we offer ourselves and give ourselves to the Lord and present ourselves to him, no strings attached, not trying to hide anything, that opens the door for God to move and do a redemptive work in us. And I want you to know, like, if you're hearing this and you have sin in your life, which you do, God isn't finished with you yet. God has grace for you in this. And I, and I want to just show you uh, Proverbs 28, 13 that's on here. Makes it very clear. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. If your attitude towards sin is, I got to hide it and bury it, it's not going to go well for you. But he who confesses and forsakes them you bring it into the light, Lord, here it is, and I'm repenting, and I want to move away from that. Whoever does that will obtain what? Mercy. God will do a work in your life. God will do a work in your heart when we take on this posture in our sin. This idea of I got to clean myself up and then I'll come to God, let's get rid of that right out of the vocabulary. This idea of, I gotta clean myself up and then I could do more for God? No. I gotta clean myself up and then I can offer myself to God? That's not what we see here. You give yourself to the Lord. See, the issue is not you trying harder. I mean, yes, let's put our effort in, but the issue is the Lord doing a changing work in your heart. Like, how many of you know when we, when we talked about this, but like, when we sin, like, it's not really about solely our efforts, and I'm going to try really hard in my own flesh to just stop sinning and beat that down. It doesn't go that well. We need to be changed. We need God to move in us to see that change. Would you agree? And so, that's where we're at. And it doesn't mean, by the way, that it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean that there won't be consequences for your sin. It doesn't mean that things won't take time. If you, if you read the rest of the story of King David's life, it wasn't very easy. There were consequences for this sin. This, this, this particular sin that he did, there were direct consequences. And, and things did take quite a lot of time, but God did a redemptive, restorative work in David's life. And I don't know, like, it's the same God who's living and active and moving and working today as it was who moved in David's life. He can do the same in your life, but we have to approach him and offer ourselves to him in our sin. That's the trajectory we take. One more to go. Can you hack it? Good. I'm doing it anyway. 
Number four, we position ourselves to see God move when we offer ourselves for ministry. Say ministry now. Ministry is just the work of the Lord. That's a fancy way of saying that. Turn in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In that chapter, 2 Corinthians 8, we read about the church in Macedonia. Maybe they were called the Macedonia Church of Christ, for all I know. I don't know. They probably weren't. But anyway, this was a church, if you read the account in 2 Corinthians 8, this was a church that wanted to do ministry. This was a church that wanted to be a blessing. This is a church that wanted to share and show the love of Jesus Christ to those around them. That should sound familiar, because that's what we want to do, right? And so... You have to understand, though, this was not a church of great political clout. This was not a a church of great influence. This was not a church of great resources or power. It even even says, I think it's in verse 2, it says they were in a severe test of affliction. Like there was something going on, a really hard time, severe test of affliction for this church. But God still moved through that, through their lack, through their lack of power and influence, through their difficult season, God showed up and he moved through that church. These guys were able to give a large sum of money away. That's part of ministry. They were able to send it right out the door and bless somebody else in another place with a large sum of money. It says even beyond their means in verse three. They might have had the capacity to do this much, but, but somehow they were able to do this much and just give it away. That was the Lord moving in their midst. That's how God can move in and through churches. And you say, well, how did that take place? How were they able to do that? Well, it's right in verse one. It's the grace of God. It's the grace of God on that church, the blessing and the favor and the provision of God on that church that enabled them. It wasn't, you know, they did a love offering. They had a giving campaign. It was the grace of God. How many of you know that we as a church need the grace of God? And you say, okay, well, why did God allow this to happen? Why did God pour out his grace among this church? There's one very important clue we get in this text right here. It's Near the bottom, on the second to last line, it says, they gave themselves first to God. They gave themselves first to God, and then God moved. God did incredible things through their church. It obviously was pretty incredible because we're still reading about it a couple thousand years later. God moved in that church. We want to see God move in our church. Like, I, I love you guys. I love what we have. I even love what we're able to do on our own power. Like, I just, I love that. But, like, I, I long to see God show up in ways like this and do things that are so wildly beyond what we can logically, rationally, reasonably do in our own capacity and just blow the lid off it and do amazing things. And we have seen God do things like that in our church. God has done it before. God can do it again. This one excites me greatly. I'm just telling you that. Like, this is my heart. This is the heart of your leaders. I hope this is your heart too. Like, well, I'll ask you, do you want to see God move in your church? 
Yes, okay. And so this is one of the pathways to that. We are to offer ourselves to the Lord. Not offer ourselves as the leftovers, but we offer ourselves first to God. This takes all of us coming together and saying, Lord, I am yours. We are yours. I'm presenting myself to you. Here we are. Use us. Shape us. Mold us. Work in us and through us. This one can't be done as a solo act. Like I can pull on the rope, the elders can pull on the rope, the sound man can pull on the rope. We need all of us, all of us together, offering ourselves to God because God can move through that. We need to see God move. I long to see him move in our church and I hope that your heart is the same. Okay, let's come in now. Let's start wrapping this up. In all of these moves of God, it's a very simple principle. It's a very simple principle. It's people or individuals or whole churches offering themselves to God, giving themselves to God, devoting themselves to the Lord. This is this deliberate, conscious act. You've got to bust out of the routine to do it. You've got to come into that space where you're carving it out and saying, Lord, here I am. You don't just stumble into that. You've got you to go for it. And when we offer ourselves first to God with no strings attached, we position ourselves to see him move. And don't answer this out loud, but, but just think about it for your own life, and, and I'll do the same. Like, when is the last time you consciously, deliberately offered yourself unto the Lord? Again, it doesn't have to be in some huge way, even just in a little way, but when's the last time? Even just in some area of your life, you said, God, here I am, have your will, have your way, I'm all yours. It's pretty easy to go on autopilot. I find that in my experience, in my walk of faith, it's easy to get into the routine and to not really think about it and I'm just going about my life and staying in my lane and all of a sudden time, 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 time goes by and I don't give myself to the Lord the way I ought to. Maybe it's the same for you. And friends, the deal is this. The, the longer that we hold back, the longer that we fail to give ourselves to God, like the longer, the more time goes on where we're not positioning ourselves the way we could be to see him move. And like, I know even in a church our size, like, like there are needs, there are mountains, there are obstacles, there are giants. Like God, we need him to come and move. I know some of you desperately need the Lord to come and move. Well, let's not overlook this step. Let's not overlook this activity and this mentality. We all ultimately have to choose this. We all have a choice to make in this. And straight up, there's lots of reasons not to. Okay, we as a people are pretty good at convincing ourselves of anything or talking ourselves into or out of anything, right? You might have the posture of, well, I'd offer myself to God, but I am really, really busy. I'm way too busy. I have so much going on. I got priorities and I've got commitments and I got things to do and not enough time to do them. Does that sound familiar? I think I will share this. Turn to Luke chapter 10 in your Bible. Luke chapter 10, uh, verse 38. Here's a good occasion of this right here. Luke 10, 38 says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. 
But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So this story of Mary and Martha, like Jesus rolls into town, Mary sits at his feet. Mary presents herself to him. Here I am, here's my time and my attention and my devotion. And it says that she chose the good portion. Martha is busy. Somebody says, I can resonate with Martha. Here's a bit of a sobering thing in that account. I just remind you, she was busy doing the work of the Lord. Like she was busy. Jesus is in her house and she's serving him. And Jesus says, you are troubled about many things. Mary has chosen the good portion. I am certainly not suggesting you blow off your responsibilities. Okay? Pastor told me not to show up for work today. Talk to him about it. Okay, no. I'm not suggesting for one second that you, you slack off on your commitments, your responsibilities. I'm certainly not saying that the work of the church isn't important. Some of you do a lot of work for the church. In fact, we could use more help even to do the work of the church. But I'm saying let us not get so busy, even busy doing things for God, even good things, let's not get so busy that we fail to offer ourselves to him. Let's not make the same mistake that Martha did. Will you prioritize the pursuit of God and offer yourself to him? That's the question. Maybe you're on another angle. Maybe you're in a different lane and you'd say, I'd offer myself to God, but, but you're clinging to some sin or shame or some, some baggage or something that's holding you back. Again, I will encourage you. Will you choose to trust that God is good? Will you choose to trust that God is full of abundant mercy and grace and that he has plans and a future for you and the forgiveness of your sins? There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Sometimes we've got to start living that way. Maybe you're in a different lane even still. Maybe you are saying, I would offer, straight up, you're saying, I would offer myself to the Lord, but I'm afraid of what he might ask me to do. And if you cut thinking about it, you might realize I'm pretty comfortable right now. I like the lane that I'm in. I don't want to stir the, stir the pot, rock the boat. Will you choose to trust that God has plans for you and a life for you. And the more that you yield yourself unto him and trust him and offer yourself to him, the further and further you can go into his will for your life. And it's a good life. Whatever it is that's holding us back from offering ourselves to God, whatever the reason, whatever the occasion, I guarantee you, friends, I guarantee you that whatever it is, it is not as good it is not as sweet, it is not as fulfilling, it is not as enduring, it is not as meaningful, it is not as life and joy and peace giving and filled with glory as whatever it is that God might do if we would just offer ourselves to him. I guarantee you Jesus is better. I guarantee you his will is better. I'm guaranteeing that being in his presence and getting with him and presenting ourselves to him is the way to go.